Hello and welcome to the podcast on Broadwater Parish in Worthing, a thriving Anglican church based in the parish of Broadwater, West Sussex in Worthing. We are one church across three sites and Christians have worshipped for over a thousand years at our church at St Mary's. This podcast features sermons from our services and interviews and other episodes and you can find out more by going to broadwaterparish.org.uk. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoy this most recent episode of the podcast. So our reading is taken from Hebrews chapter 3. It's on page 1202 of the Church Bibles. And the titles are Jesus, Greater Than Moses, and A Warning Against Unbelief. Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honour than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honour than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house. And we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed. So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, My parents always did their 
very best for me as a child. I mean, no doubt about that. It was a different world in so many ways, and I often reflect upon it. I have a, a memory of my dad buying me a set of encyclopedias. Um, I think someone saw him come in, actually. But uh, he was a kind man, and he bought these encyclopedias for me. I have to say I was underwhelmed by this and could think of better gifts. He clearly thought I needed to study more and play less. Now, what kind of parenting is that? So that I should not be too daunted, I was given one volume at a time. The alphabetical demarcation was, however, unfortunate. So I became well-versed in everything from A to B.O. Almost nobody uses encyclopedias anymore. We use Google, and Alexa seems to know quite a lot of stuff. So much more extensive, so much quicker, so much better. When you think back of someone you have lost, do you, like me, wonder if they would have embraced what has happened since as being better? I expect the thoughts would be mixed. Many things are now better, surely, but I contend that some things were better then. Okay, we had to run to the nearest telephone kiosk in order to ring the doctor, but he, nearly always a he, would be at your house as soon as possible and often within the hour. It's human nature to strive for better. That's not the same as materialism, but could become so if taken too far. In life, we often have to accept second best, third best, or some way down the line. But where Jesus is concerned, there is no other way or truth or life. He has to be better than any other recourse. That is the fundamental message of the well-educated Hebrew writer. Our theme this morning is Jesus is greater and therefore better than Moses. The previous chapter concerned angels, which Jude so helpfully guided us through last week. Jesus is better than or superior to the angels. The writer is unknown, but we do know he was Hebrew and addressing Hebrews, most likely in Italy, mentioned in the penultimate verse of this book. He uses comparatives, perhaps more than any other writer. You might think that the New Testament would be full of superlatives, but that is not so. What do I mean by that? Well, we describe things in a sort of ranking order. Poor, good, better, best. My school report usually featured poor, occasionally good. If it ever said better, there was usually a could do in front of it. Never was there a best. Why is better used so frequently in Scripture? It's because it's comparing with the known. It's the very best teaching tool and widely used in advertising. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, You have heard, but I say to you. In other words, you know and value the laws, which I'm now going to explain more fully. 
That was good. This is better. The kingdom of heaven is like, but better. No writer expresses all this as extensively as the writer to the Hebrews. In Hebrews 6 verse 9, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. Hebrews 7.19, a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. Hebrews 7.22, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Hebrews 8 verse 6, since the new covenant is established on better promises. Before we look at the comparison between Jesus and Moses, we need to understand the overarching comparison between Christianity and the Hebrew faith. The writer was speaking to fellow Hebrew converts to Christianity who had a real dilemma. Just imagine for a moment that being here this morning was a huge personal cost to you. And not talk about missing the football. What if you could be put in prison simply by being seen here and you knew others who had been? What if you'd already had your house confiscated through being overtly a Christian? And if you drove here by car and you decided to park it some streets away and sneak in through the back way so no one saw you, but looking over your shoulder the whole time, knowing that it could be a huge disaster for your family just to be seen as a Christian? Hebrews 10, verse 34. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. That kind of thing happens in some countries even today. But surely not here. You know as well as I do that some Christian beliefs and principles are being challenged. It's been on the news. You've thought it. You've sensed it. I feel a sense of unease about it. The Hebrews sensed real danger, as did the writer, of course. He was not writing from a safe haven. Nero was one of the cruelest emperors, and for the Christian, all hell was about to break loose. To say that Nero was bestial would be an insult to beasts. Satan could do no worse. Nero didn't play the fiddle while Rome burned. It hadn't been invented yet. But he was planning to blame the Christians and relishing the cruelest punishments he could invent. Make no mistake, they were monstrous, with parents forced to watch the demise of their own children. The Hebrew Christians knew that Judaism was legal in Italy, or perhaps more accurately, tolerated. Maybe some backhanders were going on. I don't know why that was the case. But Judaism was accepted in Italy. And there was a sanctuary for them in the synagogue. So the writer's daunting task is to convince them that the danger of the Christian church was better than the safety of the synagogue where they would be welcomed back, but only if they recounted their faith in Jesus. So the challenge for the writer was to convince that Jesus was better than Judaism. The challenge for the recipients was to hang in there in the face of extreme persecution, to choose what they knew deep down, however costly, was better. 
The writer was at pains to point out that all the things that they held dear, the prophets, the priests, the angels, and the very law itself, was now eclipsed by something far better. And now pulled out a very interesting card, Moses. A Gentile Christian writer might well have chosen a different card for the son of David, but not so here. In Hebrews 11, he says, I do not have time to tell you about David. Because for the Hebrews, Moses was the man. The Hebrew scriptures, our Old Testament, was known either as the law and the prophets or Moses and the prophets. So he was the law personified. He was a prophet and a priest. Arising in part from his age of death, which was 120 years, the phrase, may you live to 120, has become a common blessing among Jews. Moses is mentioned more times in the New Testament than any other Old Testament figure, and even merited a place on the Mount of Transfiguration. This was a clever move from our unknown but very perceptive writer. And how could Jesus be better? Well, let's see. In Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. So those two couplets, like me, among you. Moses is saying this is where the prophet will come from, and you must listen to him. Like me, among you. The Jews have been waiting for the prophet Moses at promise for centuries, and in due course, they approached John the Baptist, asking, are you the prophet? John replied that he was not, but he said, among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Like me, Moses has said. So in what ways was Moses a foreshadowing of Jesus? How were they similar? They were both in God's house or household, same word, as our reading points out in verses 5 and 6. But Moses was a servant, whereas Jesus was in effect the owner and had full authority. So where is the likeness? Both Moses and Jesus were prophets and lawgivers. There are mouthpieces. A prophet is someone who actually speaks the words of God. They both were. And they both wrote laws or had written laws. Moses had laws written on stone. The laws of Jesus were written on hearts. Both Moses and Jesus mediated a covenant. Moses, the old, and Jesus, the new. Both Moses and Jesus were born in a dangerous time, both narrowly escaping a king who murdered babies. Both Moses and Jesus preceded their ministries in the wilderness, Moses being prepared for a war with a determined Satan, Jesus actually at war with a desperate Satan. Both Moses and Jesus led God's people out of captivity. Moses from the grip of Pharaoh, Jesus from the grip 
of Satan directly. Both Moses and Jesus perform miracles, providing life-giving water and daily bread. The miracles of Jesus were far greater. Yes, Jesus fed the multitudes with physical food, but his living water and daily bread are eternal. Both Moses and Jesus spoke face to face with God. Exodus 33 verse 11, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Jesus spoke to his father throughout his ministry, the first time being at his baptism, at the outset of his mission, and the last time being on the cross when it had been accomplished. Moses interceded for his subjects at least twice, but was only human and not perfect. Jesus is perfect and constantly intercedes. Hebrews 7, verse 25, Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. The writer has chosen well. True, such a man as Moses would be an appealing idea when married with safety. After all, it was the same God, wasn't it? But then what? If they were to return and meditate on the words of Moses, what would they find? Well, they'd find Moses saying, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. It would go full circle. Because Jesus is better. The best that Judaism could put forward says so. Where are we in this? Where each one of us here in 2023 in this? We don't live in such traumatic times, in this country anyway, and should daily be grateful for that. But even in 2023, there are very many Christians in our world who have to pay the ultimate price for proclaiming that Jesus is better. The devil, as the angel of light, doesn't favor those weapons with us, but the arsenal he chooses suits his purposes very well, and probably better. The devil wants us to have comfortable lives, enjoying all the blessings God has given us, without much thought for the giver. He wants us to believe that Jesus was a kind man, with high moral standards, who taught some very good lessons, Those are his very effective weapons. How so? I am very fond of the writings of C.S. Lewis. He writes this. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him, kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. 
The lesson for us with our comparatively modest trials and tribulations should be clear. Don't get to your life's end with, I did it my way. Do it God's way. It is much, much better way. The devil rejoices every time we sideline Jesus or drift away from him. But he shudders when we resolve to have a better walk with Jesus. I often like to end what I'm saying with a quote from a hymn or a Christian song, but I couldn't find the right one. So I stole one. I actually stole one from the late Tina Turner. He's simply the best, better than all the rest. Amen.